tell him about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? I've been drinking green tea all goddamn day! All of our team. Welcome back once again to Gag Reel, the unasked for and unnecessary podcast where we talk about comedy movies and comedy television and break down the jokes that you, you never thought needed breaking down. But here we are. Uh, I am your host, Ryan Scanlon, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Will. Hey! What's going on, Will? Oh! I don't know. Yeah, it's a good time of year to just kind of be chilling. We, we are in the winter months, and just... It's not horrible uh, down down here in, in, in Texas town, but, you know, it's still a little chilly. I don't really want to go outside this time of year. I kind of just want to sit around and watch too many movies, play too many video games, and... That that's what we do here uh, at the gag reel. It all works out perfectly. Yeah, down down old down old Tejas way. We teased the last episode that we are kicking off a kind of special, unique thing we haven't done here before. We're doing a marathon session of episodes, and by that I mean for the next three episodes, including this. So I guess the next two episodes and this are all going to be on the Monty Python films. It's a cereal. It is our Monty Pythonathon, as we are calling it in the thumbnail. Oh, wait, no, it's not thumbnails and podcasts. As we are calling it in the podcast title that you already clicked on today. The thumbnail of your mind. So. So. So I think, I don't know. I'm wondering if we, if we should kind of do any anything different here for this for this Pythonathon to kick it off, or, or should we We just... should do something completely different. <laughs> I don't know what that is, though. Bring in a band. Okay. Yeah, call, call up a local orchestra. The local orchestra's playing, yeah, right now. Uh, this is John, Smitty, Benny, Jenny, and Peter. They're a, uh, I think that's a quartet right there. I think I named four people, maybe five. Uh, have you have you actually talked with Peter though? That no. is a weird, crazy dude. I haven't talked with any of these people. I made them all up. Yeah. Have you talked with them? Yeah. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny's the quiet one. Um, I forgot the other names, but Peter, Peter's Peter's wacky. One time he played a saxophone upside down. That sounds real difficult. He wasn't hanging upside down. He played it. Like he flipped that saxophone upside down. He blew into the the back hole. Yeah, and then he squeezed the reed just right so that it made a sound that was terrible. Mm -hmm. And it didn't sound good, but it made a sound. And you were just like, oh, wow, that worked. Peter and his wacky saxophone. It was kind of like a... (laughs) Like that, cool. He did that. Good for Peter. Well, I guess, you know, to to save our audience from us just rambling, I, I think... The time has come, and I think we should introduce the meaning of life. Why are we here? What's life all about? Is God really real? Or is there some doubt? Well, tonight, we're going to sort it all out. But tonight, it's the meaning of life. All right, well, here we are. Kicking off the Monty Python-a-thon that I'm having a lot of trouble saying today. I need more water or something, but yeah, I still got the kind of morning voice. We're recording this pretty early. We're at 3 a.m. You better believe it. I was up till 3 a.m. last night. Mistakes were made. 
Uh, I'm never yeah. up until 3 a.m. I'm up at 3 a.m. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this and hear your thoughts on this. This I think there was a time where I considered this like my favorite of the three Monty Python films and the best of the three because it, it really leaned into that sketch format like 100%. And all in all, I love all three of these nowadays, but it had been probably six years, seven years since I've seen this. So I had an amazing time and I really... I. To be honest, I wasn't expecting to have such a great time. I thought I remembered all of these jokes super well. But I, I'm, I'm curious on your end, Will, uh, what this viewing was like for you. The first time I saw this movie years ago, it had been like I had seen Holy Grail and Life. I, once again, I'm trying. I'm not comparing the two, but I'm saying like I had seen those way before I saw this one. And so like there was a long gap and it was just like, I never even, I don't remember ever actually sitting around and seeing The Meaning of Life. And that's another one of the Python movies. I should check that out. And I remember being blown away and immediately saying, oh yeah, that's my favorite. Seeing it this time was interesting because, um, I don't know, I had completely forgot about just how dark it gets. It's funny and it's wacky and it's definitely them at their driest at moments and it, 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 it definitely, uh, they're most heady. There are moments in their other repertoires where, you know, like they'll suddenly just like throw some line in that just shows that they're the smartest people in the room. But this one, it felt like almost the entire time was them just just like really sharp dialogue, really fun movie and wacky where it needed to be. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it. I had forgotten how much kind of how blunt the jabs at the Catholic Church were. Like, I definitely remembered the song, you know, every sperm is sacred, but some of the dialogue in there is just, it's pretty unabashedly, uh, you know, forward. Uh, it definitely has, has a, a point to make. Yeah. And w which is really funny to me after all the controversy of li that life of Brian caused that they would then do this. Yeah. But hilarious number. And yeah, like, I, I think there's a lot of, I know Terry Gilliam was really focused on his own feature here and the animations, but some of these bits almost seem like they could be in Brazil or some of his really kind of dystopian dark comedies, uh, like especially like the, the live organ transplant, stuff like that. That's like, you know, a very kind of dark comedy about, mm -hmm. about, you know, and that one's a bit absurd, but all of them kind of, even the more absurd ones lean into kind of, pointing out something uh, about our current world or especially about the British world in 1980. Yeah, uh speaking of uh Terry Gilliam, let let's talk for a moment about the movie that preceded the movie, the 16-minute uh short film The Crimson Permanent Assurance, which is the uh the sequence that was directed by Terry Gilliam. To charter an accountant and sail the wide accountant sea to find, explore the fans offshore and skirt the shoals of bankruptcy. It and uh, it was initially supposed to be a six-minute animated bit that was going to be in the middle of the movie, but he begged them to do it live action because he had too many ideas for it, and it just kept sprawling out and looking more and more different than the rest of the movie. And honestly, straight up, like visually, it, it looks like it could have been pulled from Time Bandits, mm -hmm. just made more absurd. And um, it's a crazy little 16 minute short film that they just, yeah, they threw it in the, at the start of the movie because it's, it's a jab that they've made before at like in British, British theaters 
in the forties and fifties, they used to precede the main, like the the main feature film with a an entire B movie, and that phased out into short films, which slowly phased out into more and more boring nonsense. And so, whenever they get a chance, they like to put a short film at the beginning of their movie as kind of like a uh, a spoof of that. Yeah, I know. I, I was looking into this, and I know that um, and I know that John Cleese made a kind of short, goofy thing bef- to precede the life of Brian. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what they did for the Holy Grail, but yeah, I'm sure once we get down the road to that, we we could research that and I'll talk about it. But the Crimson Permanent Assurance. It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, this this could be ripped right out of Time Bandits. There's like just a particular kind of design to Terry Gilliam's models that he likes to use. Uh, just really kind of dirty and, and dark looking buildings. And this uh, this particular building that the accountants, what do they do? I'm pretty sure they're accountants sailing the high seas of capital finance. These these a, these aged gentlemen, their building is apparently Edwardian architecture, and it just it, it contrasts with the big business, uh, almost New York kind of skyline that they drive out to, in a really interesting way. And you know, not to fall down Terry Gilliam political rabbit hole, but it very much feels like like a lot of his movies, like a kind of like a, a jab at you know uh, bureaucracy and uh, America and capitalism and, and just kind of little bit of everything especially in the 80s which was yeah mm-hmm. when this when this came out and that was yeah very big corporation of america yeah that was kind of the the talk of the town a lot of it really ripe with visual gags and so kind of a, a fun little tone piece to start out this film that and it, it kind of does you know talk a little bit about you know what, what most of the sketches talk about like just kind of this is a slice of the world that we live in and here are people, you know, uh, just kind of in it and maybe uh, fighting it. Mm-hmm. And I just to kind of jump ahead, I really love how this then seems into the the the. I think it's like towards the end of the movie where the intro feature interrupts the main feature film, and they yes, break I in. Love, I love that. And have the sword fight. <laughs> they were they were able to somehow segue in discussion of the meaning of life only for it to immediately. And it ends in the most just kind of like, you know, let's just get out of here joke of them falling off the side of the world. It feels so much like one of, one of Gilliam's animations of just like, okay, I made some funny moments. Uh, let's get out of here. That was always one of my Money Python's trademarks is to, instead of leaning into a punchline, just drop up, drop like drop away from the sketch before, you know, like there's no, there's no point mm-hmm. in you know, trying to circle it all around to some giant punchline. We got some funny stuff in there. Let's just end it. Which, you know, like leads in a, probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie when I don't know if he was a lieutenant or a colonel, but he lost his leg. Yes. In the middle of the Zulu, the Zulu War. Wars. And so like they're going around trying to find where the leg went so that the doctor may be able to sew it back on and they think a tiger may have took it, or that they see so people at a tiger suit, and so you're just sitting there with all these questions. It's like, wait, why, why are, why are they in a tiger suit? And they can't answer it. Yeah, they never. But they keep coming it. up with different answers, and they never find the leg. And then the sketch just ends, and it's just like, I love how it all just leads to nothing. Yeah, yeah. There was a, um, you know, I, I know GQ, I know Vanity Fair, I know a ton of um, pop culture 
magazines that now run YouTube channels do this, where they grab actors and have them, you know, talk about some of their more iconic characters. And Eric Idle did one of these, and he was talking about that bit. And he kind of mentioned some of the other improv that he did that didn't that didn't end up in the movie. And just uh, he he was talking about that general and how like kind of distracted he is, and how he doesn't really care about the leg. He's just a yeah. uh, very kind of continuously mild-mannered. There's a couple more scenes missing of that character, because I, I remember, he's, he's just, you know, what's the matter with you? I've lost a leg. Quite a bite you've got there, huh? Yes. Real beauty, isn't it? He's very indifferent to pain. And then later on, I think there was a lot of scene where he goes, he says, are you all right? Yes, yes, I'm jigging about a lot. He said, well, are you okay? He said, yes, just being a bit horny. <laughs> he's lost his leg, but he's really, the jigging about has made him horny. I don't know whether they still have that. Some of the things got lost. Um, maybe it's in the outtakes, <laughs> I don't know. That's great. But yeah, one of, I feel like one of the best parts about that, uh, that joke just with, with the blocking and the, the performance from Eric Idle is how he keeps bending his head down to show this tiger yeah. head turning to <laughs> yeah. Michael Palin. <laughs> but yeah, we're jumping all over the place. I think... Uh, we should talk a little bit about e- each of the sketches, um, or at least e- each yeah. of the more memorable ones. So if we're doing that, then um, right after the title sequence, which contained an interesting joke. So around the, uh, let me just, uh, just a quick little trivia bit. Around the same time they were making The Meaning of Life, Douglas Adams was working on a book with John Lloyd called The Meaning of Lif. <laughs> and uh, both came out, the same year and according to terry jones douglas adams had called him and told him about his book the meaning of lif and uh, terry jones got all concerned he was like oh no that's almost the same title as our movie and uh then he realized that would actually that might not be a bad thing that could kind of uh do like some sort of cheeky cross promotion type yeah, thing yeah. and so that is why the tombstone at the beginning uh, in the title sequence says the meaning of lift and then the lightning strikes and changes it to life. Okay. But yeah, that segues into part one. Well, I want to jump back very quickly and talk slightly about uh, the, the great Frenchman performance of Eric Idle in that intro song. <laughs> yeah. It's not like the lyrics of the song aren't even that funny, but just the, his performance and how like he'll just jump into the next verse, like screaming it in this French yeah. voice. Hilarious. Yeah, I, f- I feel like he was straining to keep his French accent, so he had to scream it. It's kind of like the only way he could keep it is by screaming it, and that makes it funnier, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> but yes, the the miracle of birth. Is that the, that's the sec- first part, right? Or am I miss... Yes. Uh, yeah, no, it goes straight into that. the hospital. Uh, well, well, I mean, you know, like right before the title sequence, we saw the fish in the tank, and they see their buddy getting yeah, eaten good, at the restaurant. Good call. I forgot. I almost forgot about the kind of frame story of the fish versions of the pythons, which yes. uh, always morning. It, it was <laughs> morning, morning, morning. It's always very quaint, but it it, it did make me a little uncomfortable, uh, just the way they look. Oh, they look freaky. Uh, and then for some reason, there was a video game in the late '90s that decided to take this exact look called Seaman, where you take care of a fish man just like this. My name is Seaman. You don't know me, but you will. Some say my amphibious nature makes me seem odd. That's because I'm part fish. I must be cool. Ew. Yeah, interesting game. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, very 
this is um I think to my knowledge the only one of the three movies that just has a complete insert for them to just kind of talk over the movie in a way. I mean, sure they're not calling themselves their own names, but it's pretty much just them as fish. Yeah. At least the uh, only one I could think of, you know, only, only one of the only sketches I could think of that has all, all six of them just kind of sitting there on screen together. I feel like it had it had to be there, though, because of how meandering this movie is. Yeah. And so they had to have Fish around the middle of the movie say, like, I, I don't think they've really mentioned much about the meaning of life. What the hell's going on? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, like, I, I feel like it just that's that's what really kind of ties it all together and makes it work. But um, anyway, so, yeah, that segues into the, the title sequence, which goes to. The Meaning of Life Part 1, The Miracle of Birth. This was actually um, this uh, a little tiny sliver into side note into uh, how they how their writing process is. Is Michael Palin's gone on before and talked about how he none of the actual pythons are sure why their humor works because every single one of them ha- have an entirely different sense of humor and they'll all just write stuff and then cram it all together into one sketch. And then, you know, so like whenever they see people laughing. They're not sure which part of it that they're laughing at because they all, you know, like right on top of each other. But this scene was uh, for the most part written by uh, Graham Chapman who had been through medical school to actually become a doctor before suddenly deciding, you know what, I want to go into comedy instead. And so he wrote this one based on um, his experience there and how technology kept kind of coming into the hospital and everybody and uh, hospitals kept bragging and bragging about their new technology. And it was kind of leading to the point where surgeons would kind of just stand around and chat with each other before they even start operating on a patient who's sitting right there. <laughs> and so, yeah, we see uh, a birth sequence, which uh, what'd you think of this sketch? When, when it comes to the comedy of it, uh, yeah, I really like this more dialogue driven scene. And I think the sound design of this scene worked super well, too. Of there being yeah. that kind of punchline, like a uh, musical cue, that like musical motif of that like kind of heroic little trumpet blare thing that plays, and then the punchline ping sound at the very end, where you know she's just oh, yeah. kind of sitting there, not having her baby, and just kind of confused. Yeah, there was a couple lines that really stood out to me in that scene, and one was Michael Palin's administrator in there, and they're like, "So what is this?" And they're like, "This is a birth." <laughs> He's like, oh, great. What is that? <laughs> and, and then uh, the other one was when the ma, when the mother asked if it was a boy or a girl, and the doctor said, a uh, little early to assign roles. Yeah, him scow- scolding her, <laughs> yeah. being curious about her own child. Yeah, it was a very, yeah. very funny. Well, no, I think it's a, it's a really good tight scene, uh, and it leads... There, there's some great um, transitions in this movie of kind of, you know, a sketch to sketch. And th- this does a really good job of then cutting straight to the the third world. The third world, which is Yorkshire. Yes, which was hilarious <laughs> joke that I had kind of <laughs> yeah. forgotten about. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we already talked a little bit about this song. There, there's not that many particular lines that I want to point out. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll play a little bit of the kind of build up to the song because I feel like once it go- starts going, it becomes more of just visual gags and more of just kind of choreography jokes, uh, very yeah. kind of grand scale musical moments. But um, all the kind of intro verses uh, from Michael Palin are, are hilarious. There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons. And then... There are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. 
I'm a Roman Catholic And have been since before I was born And the one thing they say about Catholics is They'll take you as soon as you're warm You don't oh, have yeah. to be a uh, Fun fact, because there were so many kids involved And they didn't want to traumatize them uh, there were several lines that were actually dubbed over. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So that, uh, yeah, the kids wouldn't. Uh, so when he says uh, he has to put a little rubber, t- uh, a little rubber thing on the end of his cock, he's, he actually says on the end of his sock. Mm-hmm. And he says uh, some of the kids kind of just stared bewildered, <laughs> and other ones smirked like they knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, some of those were like a bunch older too. Like it was a good range oh, yeah. of ages. For these dirty children. Mm-hmm. But uh, did you happen to find out uh, about the reaction? Did it become as much of a controversy as the life of Brian? I don't think it was nearly as controversial. I know that um, Ireland banned it, mm-hmm. but they had banned all their other movies. They, I think by this point, it was just, uh, they just kind of rolled their eyes. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh yeah, it's them again. Kind of like, you know... By this point, everyone knew what Monty Python was. They knew to not bother with it if, you know, like the Catholic Church is just like, yeah, whatever. That's from <laughs> them doing their thing kind of thing. I don't know. That's an interesting question I, I I may look into before we get to Life of Brian. Okay. Yeah. For sake of time, I don't want to talk about literally every scene, but I do want to talk about the next one because I, I do really like how, you know, we, we kind of pull out from... This this big musical number that may have gone on a tiny bit too long, but it's hilarious. And then we now just have the camera kind of sitting in this uh, dining room with Graham Chapman and Eric Idle as this older Protestant couple. As you see, the kind of Catholic kids oh, yeah. walking out to do their you yeah. know, have medical experiments conducted on them. And uh, it did the camera just sits there for a long time, and it's just like this super long take of Graham Chapman explaining to to Eric Idle, his older Protestant wife, about how they could <laughs> have sex anytime they want with with a condom because they're proud Protestants, and and uh, Eric Idle's you know woman just being very excited about the idea. It's blocked out super well, and it, it's a, you could very much tell that it's just kind of. Eric Idle and him just kind of playing off of each other, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm curious uh, for the for the next kind of slew of stuff. Is there any moments that really stand out to you? I thought the uh, the sex education was okay. I uh, you know I, I got what they were going for, and there were some funny moments in there. Whenever uh, like Michael Palin had an ocarina in the middle uh-huh. of it, and like the little things like that, like you know this is the stuff the kids would be excited by, but they're not, and so kind of like a twist on expectation of you know like and it was it was it was amusing i, th- I think it's a funny joke yeah but i it, it's one that like i feel like i grasped all like on the first go about but yeah it, yeah it's kind of like yeah it went on a little long which that's segue really quickly into the uh the war sequences mm-hmm. or or as as it's referred to in the movie fighting each other <laughs> i thought the uh the sequence where they're on the middle the top of the hill and they just keep giving this guy gifts yeah. uh, that they get angry that he doesn't want the gifts that he's trying to keep us all alive. He doesn't appreciate um, the birthday cake that he spent so much time making in the trenches. You ever tried melting butter in minus, 30, minus 15 degrees? <laughs> and then that led into, we, we already talked a little bit about the tiger sequence. Oh, well, there was also the uh, the platoon sergeant about the marching in the square, which was fun. It was kind of more like a segue it, it scene. It felt a lot like you know it, it belonged in the show. 
It's very kind yeah. of short to the point, but yeah. And then uh, that led into the the Zulu War mm. with the leg bitten off. And uh, I, I was really amused by that whole scene, not only because of just like the way it it shows how the uh, the commissioned officers are just treated entirely differently than any of the yeah, soldiers. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the, the kind of more brutal point of that sketch before it just yeah. becomes this kind of meditation on lying <laughs> just never admitting yeah. something I don't know it's just basically pretty funny in the context of a uh, modern comedy it almost reminded me of a Tim Robinson sketch yeah it's just obviously there's something going on here but like the, these characters just won't admit it just <laughs> just, won't just keep dodging it. it yeah that was great and then at, uh, at which point uh Terry Gilliam pops out of a, a Zulu skin suit. Mm-hmm. Which I think and, was a really funny effect. And then announces it's the middle of the film. And then we get the find the fish scene. Yeah. Do you know any much about uh, what that was aiming for? I mean, I... It, I have no idea. I think it was some sort of psychosexual Dadaist. <laughs> yeah, it felt a little bit um, Warhol to me. <laughs> it was a, Yeah, or Salvador Dali kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Seuss in there, yep, too. Yep, yep. I wonder where that fish has gone. You did love it so. You looked after it like a son. And it went wherever and it did go. It was definitely bizarre and wacky. That's something, as I'm editing this one, I'll, I'll look into if there's any more explanation to it. Than, uh... I almost wonder if they just found those... Uh arm extenders <laughs> and just started getting really weird and just like Terry uh, Terry Jones was just walking around being weird and they were like you know what this needs to be in the movie let's get an alien in here too let's get wild yeah I don't know it was it was bizarre <laughs> and so then the movie starts back up again and we get to a middle age which is the Hawaiian restaurant with a medieval torture theme which it- a really great uh, sketch that I think I had overlooked before. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember noticing before them they mentioned that, yeah, this is authentic Hawaiian cuisine in the, the realistic medieval dungeon. I remembered the dungeon, but not the Hawaiian food paired with that. Which which leads me to a question I had while I was watching the movie. Okay, I can't count Terry Gilliam because he was born and raised in America. So he doesn't count who out of the other pythons are able to pull off the best American accent. Oh, yeah, that, that's tough, yeah. Hmm. I think Palin's is the funniest, but uh, is it, yeah. it's not the best, for sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say none of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, uh, you folks want me to start you off? Oh, really, we'd appreciate that. Okay, yeah. well, uh, look, have you ever wondered just why you're here? Well, we went to Miami last year and California the year before that. No, 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 I mean, uh, why we're here on this planet. Mm, no. Right. It's always hilarious to hear because you always, you know, hear the opposite and see all these amazing mm-hmm. British actors that kind of can pull it off okay. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's always great when you see people that, you know, it just isn't their thing. Or they just didn't have a vocal coach on hand telling them exactly how to pronounce every word. <laughs> it's funnier that it's kind of schlocky, though. Exactly. I thought it was great. I did like Graham Chapman as the like kind of Tom Jones-esque. I don't know if that's what they were oh, going yeah. for, but that kind of American performer later on. Definitely. He might pull it yeah, off I the best. That was great. He pulls it off the least in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think he does it the best. But yeah, see the, uh, the philosophy conversation... 
that doesn't go that well uh mm-hmm. followed by what what do they talk about after that uh uh, the uh, the off the menu discussion yes. was live organ transplants. Live organ transplants, yes, a great transition. And uh, yeah, so now we get the live organ transplant sequence, which you know I think just starts off right right off the bat as a uh, a particular brand of weird from the pythons of there being this Jewish Rastafarian man that uh, opens up the door. Yeah, Terry Gilliam speaking of which, that. I mean, like he he definitely had more screen time in the like. Maybe the the third and fourth seasons of the show, and you know he but he had like one role in Holy Grail, and mm-hmm. I can't rem. I, we'll get to Life of Brian. I can't remember, but like I'd say this one, he definitely gets the most screen time. Yeah, yeah. This really, I guess, because they they had no kind of characters to they were beholden to. You know, they just kind of went all out sketch comedy wise with the meaning of life, and I think that it would. They were able to have plenty of roles for everyone. Yeah. Plenty of good roles for everyone. There's a lot of really great characters here. Uh, I like John Cleese's face or the, the teeth for the character here. What the, I don't know what he's doing with his face, but he has like his front lip just always over his top teeth. In this, yeah, uh, he's got he's got a big wad of tobacco see. in his mouth, <laughs> and. It and and I don't I don't know if he faked if it's fake eyebrows he has mm-hmm. on as well or if it's just the wig but he looks different like significantly different. It's an interesting one. Yeah. And then this leads to the uh, one one of the more memorable things from this movie is the kind of quaint universe song that uh, that Eric Idle flies out of the refrigerator for here. That's one of my favorite sequences: the fact that he was just sitting in that fridge, <laughs> and they open up the door, and he just pops out and does a song, and then at the end of it, he goes right back into the fridge. <laughs> and I, I really like it. You can see kind of some of the budget of the movie being displayed here in, in these transitions, uh, this wall explosion in this scene, and in just mm-hmm. like him kind of walking around in the galaxy. Like that kind of effect wasn't super cheap. 1982 no. or 1980, I forget. But yeah, yeah, just a really kind of pretty. And uh, not over the hilarious sequence as they're just kind of walking through the song, but a very just kind of a genuine, quaint kind of number. With uh, with lyrics that, honestly, Douglas Adams could have wrote them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sure, like some of that, you know, the, the science of it is a little out of date, but like this was you oh, know, yeah, 40 yeah. years ago now, or I guess yeah. it was 40 years ago now. Wow, we wow. It's uh, one of the music in this movie is so good. I can't say it's my favorite. But it's one of them, which is a lot of them. But uh, yeah, we we leave the live organ apartment, and we we are transitioned into the autumn years. The autumn years, yeah, it's getting kind of which close is close to the end of the movie here, you know. Yeah, which is the uh, the scene that I I I, I kind of had to fast forward a little bit. Yeah, apparently this was um well when. For the original review of this movie by the New York Times, they quote uh, they said that they think this was inspired by a, an Italian film, La Grande Bouffe, where um, it, it's kind of you know satirizing a lot of what what this is too of you know decadence and consumerism, uh, and it's about this group of friends that try and eat themselves to death, and uh, this this was the gross out version of that. I love the way this scene enters though with uh eric idol singing this penis song and uh yeah that was great. this very you know ritzy audience that it, you know seems 
to not even bat an eyelash and all of all of yeah. the penis lines. Yeah, I thought that was great. It was just like that was just a, a lot of a lot of, a lot of gross and, out. And these are the kind of scenes that I feel like are way more fun on set for everyone there than for the end viewer. I know uh, I recently listened to an interview with Tim Heidecker and he was talking about the, the interviewer was asking him about the kind of gross out stuff that they do on the show. And he, he I guess he, he said that he doesn't really think about them as much as like gross out comedians and stuff. Cause to him, like, you know, they're all fake props and they're just having a good funny time. It's just, you know, the, the viewer has to deal with the kind of cringe reaction of it seeming more real. Yeah. You know, like uh, talking about, yeah. On a Tim and Eric tangent. Yeah. You know, like, that uh, I'm thinking of that, the Cinco Man shake or something like that, <laughs> uh-huh. where it was like a shake and you had to add tufts of human yeah, hair, yeah. and so like that, that was probably one of their more, more gross moments. But I mean, it was probably just strawberry milk with some fake hair. Put yeah, in, probably you know, like, like little chocolate shavings or something. Yeah, probably yeah. But it was just like seen visually on screen. It's just like, oh, yeah. can't do that. Yeah, and so like. As it, when it comes to the effects, I really I like the kind of, you know, the three suits they made here of this, uh, this like rolling one and this inflatable one. There's a lot of cool craft to this scene. And I, I kind of like the the, con- the concluding joke here of before he explodes of John Cleese just kind of demanding like just one tiny thin wiffer. That was uh, apparently, uh, yeah, John Cleese could not... Um... Could not keep a straight face. <laughs> uh, way far thin men. But um, I, I want to talk about, you know, like I said before, I don't want to talk about every sketch, but I also do want to talk about every sketch because the one that like this kind of transitions into is one of my favorite in the movie. Eric Idle as this French waiter who's who's going to tell you as the audience the secret of life. And he, he <laughs> you just follow him like yeah, you, you go like all throughout miles. London or, or France. <laughs> I guess yeah, I guess they're in France. This way. Uh, Come here. <laughs> when the cameraman, I guess, seems unimpressed <laughs> with with his answer, it just immediately turns on him. Well, it's it's not much of a philosophy, I know. But well, fuck you. I can live my own life in my own way if I want to. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was so great. It was a great great payoff. But uh, that that leads into the 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 final meaning of life segment yeah. called death which has more and, uh, american accents yes it starts with a dude yeah getting uh committing a the crime of gratuitous nudity in a film yeah being sentenced yeah. to death by his choice which was gratuitous nudity then being chased off a cliff which um is very tongue in cheek but i am kind of curious cuz uh, this was kind of the one thing that like made me question, you know, for like the how has it aged section um, of our podcast we always do. And we get a little intro here. How has it aged? How um, has it aged? You know, I, I'm curious what you think about this. Like, you know, is it okay to do this if you're just wrapping it in this joke? Or is that just a dumb excuse for, you know, like kind of ugly a male gazy kind of moment like this. That's an interesting question because I don't entirely know the answer. I, I, I chuckled at the joke because mm-hmm. I was just like, "Oh God, here, you know, like that he chose that." But then I was also thinking, you know, like in a, in a larger scene, I thought it was done cleverly 
the way it kind of wrapped up. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if, uh, considering how like they spend a lot more time when they're discussing the overall concepts of the meaning of life, they spend more time from the, you know, like on the male perspective than the female perspective. I think uh, this one was kind of like a nail in the coffin kind of thing, where like you know if they spend uh, you know like a little more you know time with the female perspective, maybe it would have been more acceptable because then it was just it would just be like oh yeah, this is just another funny sequence. But like yeah, I don't know, I I, I couldn't I couldn't fully answer that question. Yeah, sure. This, I, I mean, thought it was amusing though. This is all subjective, and like you know this yeah. is our own perspective. Like here, like we can't answer you know for women as always. But just looking back at time, like this was the era of we've talked about the Kentucky Fried movie that had a lot of kind of gratuitous nudity. This was like, you know, early 80s, late 70s. There's a ton of movies that kind of just threw boobies in for the sake of, you know, getting getting asses in seats. And that was kind of a big part of the film industry at the time. And like the sketch comedy in general has kind of always had a problem with just being men, you know, entertaining men. And yeah. playing every role, which which is amusing, and like it, it kind of keeps the comedy tight and consistent, but um, it does lead to you know a kind of a, a lack of diverse voices, especially when you know all of the kind of more memorable sketch comedy stuff, at least for a good chunk of modern kind of you know cinema and TV history, was just like groups of white dudes. Yeah, uh, and, and so yeah, I think this is. Kind of just, yeah, uh, it's like case of kind of that uh, end of the era. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd say it has aged slightly poorly, but not like, you know, I don't think it was ever done with bad intentions. And I, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they threw it in just for the sake of being sexy. I think they threw it in completely for the joke. Yeah. But, yeah, it's still, it still is something that I would very much understand if someone was turned off from the movie because of that. Yeah, exactly. I get that. But yeah, let's move on to this this death, uh, Grim Reaper sequence kind of thing. Yeah, the salmon moose. <laughs> is that a real dish? It is actually. Yeah, it's usually more of a kind of like a dip. But yeah, you just kind of like uh, puree okay. salmon and some some spices and stuff and cream cheese together. I see. Uh, yeah, I looked this I up because recipes. it sounded really yeah. good actually to me in whatever headspace I, I was in when I was watching it. I was curious. I like salmon. I like moose. I'd never thought to combine the two. But, <laughs> but what, how do you feel about the Grim Reaper here uh, and this whole kind of scene? Because this, this one is, I feel like this one is a little long, uh, despite how funny it is. That's kind of how I felt. I was amused. And uh, probably my favorite sequence was the fact that the cars be- became ghosts. Uh-huh. Like, that was that was where I laughed the hardest. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 was, I was amused. And then they all go up to heaven where it's... Uh, it's the hotel we were at with the restaurant, with the Hawaiian restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, and it's Christmas in heaven. It's always Christmas in heaven. And every single character from the entire movie is there. Why not? You know, you got to end in a bang. Yeah, I mm-hmm. liked, uh, I like Graham Chapman's uh, character here. But yeah, overall, the, the other than just kind of, yeah, the amusement of everything wrapping up together, I don't think this sketch is particularly like a riot. No, and I, I feel like, they knew it, and that's why they cut it like halfway through. Yeah, yeah. To I, just the end of the film. I do really love just their not understanding that he's the Grim Reaper, and just how how uh, how British they are about it all, mm-hmm. and, and and how American the uh, the American couple is about it all too. Just yeah, hilariously oblivious to 
their own deaths yeah but yeah then then we cut it out and and is that just the then the kind of michael palin reading the card saying the meaning of life or is there something in between there i forget uh no it it immediately abruptly cuts to the the title that says the end of the film Mm -hmm. and then michael palin's there and uh reads the card and then goes on about how now we're going to just show gratuitous amounts of yes. penises. ...the censors and to hopefully spark some sort of controversy, which it seems the only way these days to get the jaded, video-sated public off their fucking asses and back in the sodding cinema. Family entertainment? Bollocks. What they want is filth. People doing things to each other with chainsaws, join Tupperware parties. Babysitters being stabbed with knitting needles by gay presidential candidates. Vigilante groups strangling chickens. Armed bands of theater critics exterminating mutant goats. Where's the fun in pictures? Yeah, yeah, fair, yeah. Fun movie. I, I, like I said before, I didn't expect to have this much fun watching it again. I think it had been long enough, but also, like, I think, just, I, I guess I, I don't remember appreciating the visuals uh, as much last time I watched it, and just how, uh... All, how pretty all these special effects are in their weird kind of way like it, it's cool that they had this much budget to play with and i, I think they oh, yeah. did, did a good job of playing with this and i feel like it's the perfect send-off to a sketch comedy group kind of retiring well it wasn't supposed to be but it was and oh i didn't realize that was not intended they were definitely all interested in doing their own things but there was no guarantee that they weren't ever going to come back together but then graham chapman in 1988 developed cancer and then passed away a year later mm-hmm. and since then, the yeah, they they they've refused it. You know, like I know they've, they've um, gotten together for they, live shows and stuff like they've that. They've done live shows, yeah. and they, they you know like they've been involved in other people's you know each other's projects. But to actually call it Monty Python and to do it on television, yeah. they've said that uh, they're still trying to get a hold of Graham Chapman's agent. Uh, every time, okay. uh, every time they've they've been asked if you've ever if you're ever gonna do like a re, like a reunion film or something like that. Mm. And now that. Uh, I believe uh, was it last year? Terry Jones. Uh, yeah, when Terry passed Jones away. passed away. Yeah, that was a yeah. Now that there's only there's only four members left. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think they all did get to have great careers after this, though. It's oh, absolutely. Not completely a tragic ending here. Uh, no. Overall, for this one, I I thought it was a uh, a really well crafted blend of extremely deeply thought out concepts put through an extremely absurdist lens. With uh, and uh, created an, a, a really funny, amusing, amusing uh, movie, and we shall see how Life of Brian goes. Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty pumped for it because that's one I think I've only seen twice, and it's been a long time. Yeah, me too. It's going down. Well, as always, wait. As always, where where can they reach us? Will uh, gagrealpot at gmail Facebook is at GagRealPod. Twitter is at GagRealPod. GagRealPod.com is the number, the your your go-to source for all things GagReal, I guess. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I guess that's it Come for Come buy it. our imaginary merch. Go buy our imaginary merch and go listen to the imaginary quartet of the- They're great. Yeah. The imaginary you symphony out, orchestra. Yeah. You check out the the imaginary YouTube video of Peter flipping up that saxophone upside down. Rascal. He's a rascal. Yeah. But have a good one. Take it easy and keep it real. Gag real. On a planet that's evolving, revolving at 900 miles an hour. 
that's orbiting at 90 miles a second. So it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way.